Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Outtakes. I'm Lori Baker. Today's guest is Deborah Wilson. She is known for being the longest-serving original cast member on the sketch comedy series Mad TV, and this Friday she will be starring in the sci-fi post-apocalyptic western Dead Seven, playing the main villain Apocalypta. This show also stars popular boy band groups from yesteryear, such as Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. Deborah talks to us all about this movie and more, so stay tuned. Well, exciting news. Uh, April 1st release of Dead 7 on the Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, You look fierce in this movie. Uh, What is it about and who do you play? I play the lead villain, actually the only villain, Apocalypta. And um, it's a very vicious and evil, psychopathic, bloody role. And it's my first kind of really, really evil, bloody, psychopathic role. And it was a lot of fun to play. We shot in Butte, Montana, uh, last year, and we did some pickup scenes here in Silmar, California, and it was really, really wonderful to develop this character, which really started out as a cameo appearance, and it was written for somebody else. They wanted another singer, uh, possibly a country singer, someone who would fit the profile of big and burly and ominous, and um, when that didn't come through, the casting director and one of the producers thought of me and said, listen, from Mad TV to everything that she's played on there, you know, she's run the gamut of, of what she can play uh, character-wise, comedy-wise, yes, but definitely character-wise, and I think we can pull that out of her, and I think it's more interesting to see um, a slight, you know, woman play this role and bring the, the, the evil out and, and make her larger than life um, with the acting. And so I went in and uh, uh, went up to Butte, Montana, and I said, listen, since it's only a cameo appearance, here's what I'm thinking of, and here's what I'm thinking of. Let's make her larger than life in the two days that I have. And the producers, as well as the network, said, we like what we saw, and because she's layered this character, we need to see more of her, because she's already given a backline and a story to who this, this character is, and now we need to see more. We need to see more. So they actually brought me back to Butte, Montana, for, um, for a week and said, let's make this a lead character instead of a, a cameo. And uh, so I'm throughout the movie, and it's, it's just amazing and incredible fun and a, a blessing to have someone say, come and play. What do you want to do? Come and play. And they, I developed a language for the character. I do some really gruesome things that I thought of, and uh, the network was on board, and the producers were on board, and Nick Carter, who is the star and the writer and one of the producers of the film, was on board, and playing with him was wonderful because he, he stayed open and accessible to the process and everything I wanted to bring to the table that could be vicious and evil and violent. <laughs> well, that's a great story of how this started. You know, it's so funny because these sci-fi movies, you know, it's, you have Sharknado and these movie mashups, and I guess the particular spin 
with this uh, movie is, you know, not only is it about zombies, but you have a lot of the bands from, you know, the 90s, the boy bands, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Joey Fatone. You know, did you listen to any of those bands in the 90s? Were you familiar with these different groups when you went into the project? I absolutely was. I absolutely was. I wasn't necessarily a pop fan. I'm not a huge pop fan. Um, but I know them all. I, I know all their music, and I know their pop songs, and I knew who they were. So it was really cool to be able to go and be a part of that group. You know, it was a chance to go play in that type of a playground and listen to the stories because when we were riding uh, to the location, I would hear their stories about their tours and, and their trials and tribulations, their ups and downs. I mean, they were very candid about, you know, their lives uh, in boy bands and the experiences they had with managers and producers and and traveling and, and all sorts of things. So it was really nice to get a glimpse and be a fly on the wall, uh, so to speak, of their lives. And, and the fact that they were so candid about it was really incredible, just sharing stories and anecdotes and, and being quiet enough to really take all that in. Um, so, yeah, it was really, really cool. It was a really great experience. All of them were amazing and wonderful and accessible and, and friendly. And they're all really talented. Not only are they talented singers, they're all really talented actors, and Dead 7 is going to prove that on Friday. Were there a lot of special effects and stunts that you had to do for the, for the film? Well, the special effects, again, that's going to be in post-production. That has yeah. nothing to do with me so far, but um, the stunts, everyone, there's not a, a great deal of stunt work. Everyone did their own stunts anyway because it wasn't anything overwhelming. Nobody jumps from buildings and falls from the sky or, or gets run over, but um, all of every, everything you see, the actors are doing. There are no du- stunt doubles. So whatever you do see as far as stunt work is concerned is everybody doing their own thing. Yeah. Well, you were saying that this was one of your first, your first psych- psychotic villain role. Uh, you know, how is it? I always wonder with actors that when they get into these crazy, you know, horror films with zombies, and how do you play such crazy circumstances? Was it easy to play this kind of a part when you'd never been there before? Was it fun, or how did you find the experience? We've all been there before. There isn't anybody who hasn't been in there before. In other words, when somebody says, oh, I'm so amazing, I want to kill somebody, I mean, we've all had those feelings. Um, they don't last, they're temporary, and, of course, we don't go to the edge. But the bottom line is when you're doing a film, you get a chance to push it to the edge safely. In other words, there's no FBI waiting for you. There's no police waiting for you. You know, um, you're, you just get a chance to do all these things. And even though it's fantasy, you get a chance to play all that stuff so that it's as real as possible. It's realistic as possible. And you know it's a game because a film like this is very campy. That's the point. It, and, it, and it happens to be from the producers of Sharknado, which is Asylum. Asylum Production Company produced this, and so they know the kind of genre of film they want to get involved in. This is not a heavy-duty drama in which I have to, as an actor, really go to that deep, deep, dark descent of a human being um, and all those levels, those psychological levels in order to play somebody. Uh, it's not Hannibal Lecter, in other words. This really is just fun and campy, and I am the epitome of evil as far as that kind of character is concerned. Um, uh, you know, whatever you've seen in action for that, that villain, that crazy villain. And on top of that, you've got the special effects, you've got the stunt work, you've got all the blood, you've got all the zombies. All of those things are a culmination of why it's so easy to have a, ba- you know, a, a, a playground of fun when you're creating a, a vicious character. So it wasn't just a vicious and crazy psych- psych- uh, psychotic character. It was, all of, it was all a part of and a culmination of the environment that we were playing, which was post-apocalyptic, and the zombies that were involved, 
and um, yeah, and the old West, and it was just it was just a lot of fun. So using all of that as my backdrop, it was easy to come up with stuff and play with stuff and come up with suggestions and ideas and and collaborate with the whole production team, and it was just a lot a lot of fun, you know. And knowing what the character was, and then building upon that character, it's easy to make choices and decisions that you go. Yeah, that's going to work. Oh, yeah, that's going to work. So it was just fine. They let me come up with my own language. I speak a whole different language as well, as well as English in there. And they they let me create that, and they put that in the film. It went in. So I'm grateful that they, they let me have, you know, really far-reaching parameters to play this and build and play and build and play and build and play. Well, it sounds like fun. I'm really looking forward to seeing this. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, your time at Mad TV. You were one of the longest uh, cast members uh, that stayed for you know the run. Uh, how did you get involved in sketch comedy? Um, that started back in New York. I used to do improv comedy and sketch comedy back in New York way before Mad TV. Mad TV is actually my third series. I did a sketch comedy series and an improv comedy series in New York called Uptown Comedy Club. And a lot of wonderful comedians and actors came from that. Uh, and so uh, I started on that show, and that was syndicated through Fox. I did that for a while. And then uh, by the time I got into Mad TV here from New York, because I'm from New York, you know, doing sketching improv and, and characters and starting characters and recurring characters and doing impersonations or impressions, it, it came naturally to me when I auditioned. I also auditioned for In Living Color years and years and years before Mad TV. And when Mad TV came along, I felt I was a lot more seasoned to bring more stuff to the, car- to the table. And there was a lot more socially going on, too, of course, as the years progressed. So I had a lot more fodder to play with in going in for the auditions and the callbacks and then the producer sessions and, you know, and in front of networks. So it was it was a very wonderful process and a very, very enlightening and loving journey. It is embedded in my heart and my soul the time that I spent there. It's helped me grow as a human being. Um, and definitely, definitely, as far as improv is concerned and acting is concerned, it really gave me a platform to jump from when I came to Los Angeles. Did improv always come easy for you? It sounds like it was just sort of a natural thing. Improv is natural for me. Making up mm-hmm. stuff, and that, that was, as a kid, that's something that didn't start out um, theater-wise. That's, you know, you either have that X factor for it and, and something that is kind of natural to you, and then you move in the directions of, of what is naturally attracted to you because of who you are. So I gravitated towards improv because that's what I did, and that's what I did way before there was what I considered improv. Um, and theater. I was just doing it as a kid. I was five years old doing it, you know, and because and we all do. Five-year-olds, they, they play, they pretend. Let's, you be Batman, I'll be Robin, you do this. I mean, that's what it is. That's what improv is, you know. So kids are natural uh, energies and they're receptive energies to, to for, for that, you know, itself. They grow up and they decide to do other things, and then maybe not as a profession, but if you continually do that, you kind of know the niche that you're moving in, the direction that you're moving in. And for me, that was my niche doing improv, um, making up characters, creating things. I remember I was doing it in junior high school. I went to the high school of performing arts and continued to, to develop my, and my skills for theater, uh, for live theater. But when it came to improv, that was, that's pretty natural for all of us. I mean, we improvise a lot of things that we have to do in life, whether it's acting or whether it's, hey, that cake didn't turn out well. How do we improvise making that turn out? Or that meal didn't turn out that great. How do we improvise? Or this dress doesn't look that great. How do I improvise by making it look better by adding these accessories? So we do it all the time. It's just that my niche was um, storytelling and creating characters 
and it just built since I was five years old. It just continued to build and build and build until a profession gravitated towards me. Well, you had a uh, wonderful impressions of you know famous celebrities, Whitney Houston, Oprah Winfrey, Beyonce. How do you go about putting together those impersonations? Do you do you study them on TV a lot, or how did you manage to make that work? No, I just I just you know like anybody else, you have opinions about things and. You know, you, ha- you, you talk about and dialogue about what happened in the news. It's a social thing. It's a social thing. You see it all the time. You hear it all the time. You know, it's absorbed in the fabric of society and pop culture. So it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, that, that shouldn't be that hard. That shouldn't be that hard. So it wasn't this, again, heavy-duty, dramatic. There was no gravitas to learning how to do that. And at the same time, you know, my vocal patterns are not that far from any of the women that I did. I got, once I got the vocal patterns down, you know, I let hair and makeup in the wardrobe and, and special effects and prosthetics and makeup do all the rest, and that brought it all together. I think it's always a culmination of what you can do in the voice and what you can do in the body movement and the biomechanics of that person. And then once the makeup is on and once the prosthetics are on and once you're in front of camera, you become that person. You just do, you know, as an impression and an impersonation. And there are, there's a difference between the two, but in, in either case, and in both cases, you just become that person because now the cameras and the lights, and the wardrobe and the hair and the makeup have transformed you, and it gives you permission to continue to take that journey and, and, you know, and really bring something to the table when it comes to that impersonation or impression. Did you have a favorite sketch of all time that you did on that Mad TV? There were so many. I mean, you're talking about eight seasons of a show that I was on, and there are just so many, so many, many. I, I, I can't really single any of them out as a favorite. I can single some of them out of the ones I loved and why I love them, but single them out as a favorite, um, I, would, I wouldn't do that to the material. The material was so amazing and so wonderful, and the actors that I worked with and the comedians that I worked with and the crew that I worked with and everybody was such a culmination of a powerful uh, opportunity for a pop culture show that, you know, that had some longevity that it would be almost unfair to single out one favorite thing. But there are, there are definitely uh, sketches and things that I did on the show that stand out that uh, I love. But uh, I wouldn't necessarily call them my favorites, but, but they definitely have a space in my heart as well. Was there any celebrity or actor that you found to be an inspiration for you in your work, whether it be in comedy or drama? Uh, no. Um, hmm. The people that were in the entertainment industry that were inspirations were inspirations for different reasons. They were inspirations because they were loving, accessible human beings. Patrick Stewart, uh, I worked with him on a film, and um, he was an inspiration because when I was working on a film in New York City before I moved to Los Angeles, California, and uh, FYI, David Herman was also on the film before we both knew that we would be on Mad TV together. Um, uh, I told him that a friend of mine was a huge Star Trek fan and that his favorite commanding officer was the one that he played, which was Jean-Luc Picard. And he said, meaning Patrick Stewart said, well, how can we surprise your friend Joey? And uh, he said, if you can, bring him to the location, bring him to the set, and I'd love to meet him and make it a surprise. And so it was his accessibility and his graciousness that inspired me more than anything else. Also, one of the other actors on the film was named Perry King, and I've been a big fan of Perry King for for many years for different different shows that he did. Uh, And one of my favorite movies with Ellen Barkin called Switch, which Perry King is also the star in, and and Joe Beth Williams. And uh, when he met my friend Joey, he was reading a newspaper, and as soon as I introduced him, 
he continued to look directly in my friend's eyes, put the newspaper down without looking back at the paper, shook his hand, and then engaged him as in, how do you know Deborah? Have you ever been on a set before? And then when he went to get up to go get something from craft service, asked every single actor whether they were uh, Jennifer Beals, who was also in the film, or background. Can I get you anything? I'm about to get something from craft service. Does anybody want anything? To me, that type of graciousness, that type of humanity, um, and that type of beauty is the greatest inspiration more than anything else. Yes, we look at actors and we say, yes, I want to do that, I want to do that. But if it had not been them, it would have been somebody else because we've been inspired by the work. And not necessarily that person, but that person happened to have been embodied by the work, and we would have inspired by the work no matter what. But the type of human beings that I'm inspired by who happen to be in the industry are those who are conscious, gracious, thoughtful, considerate, accessible, loving, friendly, caring, non-egotistical. That's what I'm inspired by. Oh, I work with Leslie answer. Caron, the fabulous French actress Leslie Caron, and she did the mm-hmm. same thing. She looked at somebody and said to an actress who was, in, who, was in, who was doing background acting and said, darling, if the camera can't see you, you can't see the camera. It's not fair that your mother can't see your face. So make sure that you can see the camera and make sure that the camera sees you so that your mother can see you on camera. And it was just brilliant and wonderful. She was just gracious. And anyone that uh, she thought she can give a tip to acting-wise, she made herself available to share with them uh, what she knew. That's grace. That's, that's grace. So those are the people I'm inspired by. Those are the people that, uh, that I, I am completely inspired by. Because I always tell people, if you want to be a better actor, be a better human being. Would you have any other advice for someone who's looking to get become an actor? If, again, if you want to be a better actor, be a better human being. Because okay. if you know what you want to do, you continue to go for it. Be the kind of human being that says, I am gracious and I am open, because we learn from each other. And that accessibility allows us to build character and the humanity of a character. That's what people connect, whether it's on film or television. We connect to the humanity of a human being the pain, the joy, the beauty, the sorrow, the sadness, the suffering. That's what we connect to in a human being, the humor, the laughter. And all those things come from amazing and human places that allow us to put our work on our sleeve, be transparent, so that everyone else goes, I connect to that. I relate to that. That's why I like that. That was so funny. That's what made me laugh. I connect to it. I connect to the honesty of it, you know, the integrity of it. So in order to have integrity for what we do, we need to be integrity-driven human beings to begin with. So again, catch Deborah Wilson on Dead 7, playing on the Sci-Fi Channel on Friday, April 1st. Please like my Facebook page at Outtakes and Blog Talk Radio, and follow me on Twitter at Laurie's Outtakes. Until next time.